Welcome to CPP Chat, a one-hour class on what's going on in the world of C++, chatting the guests from the community. But now, instead of our usual disclaimer, I'm just going to pass straight over to John. I will, I will say that with the guests that we have on, on this show, no disclaimer is necessary. <laughs> Every word that they say... These are the people who are teaching us how to write C++. So everywhere they say is pure gold. You can take it to the bank. You can uh, you can invest money based on it. You can uh, write code based on it. You can you can forecast the weather. Whatever they say is absolutely gold. Um, before we get in to it, I'm going to and I know for people who are on audio, this is going to be a little bit uh, challenging because we actually have five guests in addition to Phil and I. So um, it may be a little hard. Uh, to recognize who's speaking by the voice. So I may ask our guests a few times to say their name, even though they've introduced themselves already. But but sometimes I know when I listen to podcasts and there's several people on, I get halfway through the podcast and I'm totally lost who's speaking. So, um, But I'm going to ask Nico uh, to start with you. Please introduce yourself and uh, and tell us about your experience specifically as a trainer. Nico Yazutis, um, in the C++ standard committee for 25 years, so it's all my fault. And um, I'm doing training for as long as it is. So I'm doing C++ training for 25 years and um, doing currently about 20 to 30 a year. So it's, it's more or less the main thing I do right now. And uh, besides writing books and... Um, just did the first C++ training online with people in Munich and Torino in Italy, which was an interesting experience in these times of Corona. Well, hang on to that because we will definitely get into okay. it. So I don't want to really talk about the old virtual stuff because <laughs> we'll get into that. Unless if you've already been doing virtual all this time, then mention that. Otherwise. All right. So, Matus, let's go to you. Mm-hmm. So my name is Matos Bush. I'm the principal engineer and the head of the C++ Company Center at EPAM Systems. But for many years, I think around 10, I'm also doing uh, tra- trainings, providing trainings. At uh, first, I was providing them for the corporations at the beginning for Intel where I worked, then for EPAM and the customers. But at some time, I started to provide the trainings for external customers. And I'm doing this as a part-time as I'm working for full-time for some other vendors. So I'm doing about eight, six, ten trainings a year. Okay. I'm also the member of the Access Committee. It's not my fault because I'm there for only for three years. <laughs> <laughs> so w- wait for C20. All right. Okay. Uh, Jason, some of you, okay, most of you will have recognized Jason's voice because he does that other podcast. Uh, but we love that podcast. So we all, everybody listens to that one, right? The uh, first podcast. Everybody, yes. Everybody listens. The first, <laughs> the first podcast. C++ Welcome, podcast. Jason. Yeah, I spend far too much time talking online for various reasons. Um, so I guess I'm supposed to introduce myself. Uh, I've been training for two, more than two years. It uh, was my basic full-time um, I'm in about my fourth year total, though, of doing things on the side. Um, as a trainer, I have never been to a standards committee meeting, so you can't blame me for any of it. Oh, we can. <laughs> we blame you f- for that. Actually, we can. <laughs> <laughs> I did just buy my plane tickets to Kona, though, because now is a good time to buy plane tickets. Oh. So even if the meeting were to be canceled, the tickets are fully, you know, creditable because of the rules the airlines have right now. Um, otherwise, most of my work is contracting, uh, programming work. Okay. All right. Thank you. Um, Reiner, Reiner. Okay. Tell us about your... Sorry, John. Okay. My name is Reiner Grimm. I'm a trainer since 22, 24. I'm not so sure. I gave a few trainings for companies. And since 2016, I'm independent. Uh, I'm an independent trainer, mainly for C++, but also a little bit for Python. Uh, maybe it's interesting to know that I already gave at 28 a few remote seminars for India and uh, mm-hmm. Romania, which was quite challenging because of time zones and stuff like that. But this is maybe the point of a later discussion. I think this is enough uh, about me. Okay. Uh, Klaus. All right. So I'm the last one. My name is Klaus Igelberger. I'm also doing C++ training since approximately 2016. Um, 
this is my my major source of income right now. So I'm also doing similar to uh, to Nico, twenty to thirty trainings a year, um, from beginners to advanced levels. Um, yeah. Well, okay. So you guys saying this? Actually, John, uh, before you sure get on, maybe you should introduce yourself oh, as well. Oh, since you are also a, a C plus plus <laughs> trainer, I believe. I I am, and if you think that I will not be sharing my opinions about training, you you don't know this podcast very well. Uh, that, that's also true. So um, I I had been doing a little bit of, of training uh, before I quit my full time job, but I quit my job at Amazon at a, about I think it's four and a half years ago, something on that order, and um, and since then have been doing full time. Uh, uh, training and also running conferences. So that's what I've been doing. Um, the, do we have any, speaking of conferences, uh, is there any news that we want to talk about? Um, <laughs> that's not like there's any conference news, but we do have um, uh, Jason's uh, epic 10 hour port of Doom to C. <laughs> it was 10 hours after I edited it. It was 14, 13 hours live. But but you only edited like major. You didn't like edit little things out of it. No, I only. Ed- you just edited. Well, I was typing the whole time. I only. Yeah, I only uh, edited out the breaks. Yeah. 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 Okay. Wow. Um, so is that something that you uh, are planning to do more things like that, or was that let's try it once, and now that we've done that, that's enough? Well, I, I think uh, since I have a room full of trainers here. I don't know if you all had the same experience that I did, but the first time that I was on my feet all day training for a full day, I got back to my house and I literally could not speak. My voice was completely gone and I uh, felt like I'd never be able to walk again. And then like within the next couple of days, I was like, all right, that was okay. I can do that again. Yep. That's pretty much the same experience I had with a 13 hour live stream. I was like completely done, exhausted. There's no way I'm going to do this. And then like two days later, I'm like, I could do that again next Friday, <laughs> but I'm not going to. <laughs> so no, I don't have any plans to do streams that long, but I have been doing live streaming from time to time on my YouTube channel right now. Okay. All right. Um, do you have any kind of insight into how many people, if any, are actually watching 13 hours of this? <laughs> I mean, you get YouTube stats, right? And it tells you how long people watched. Yeah. The, the average watch time is like, 10 minutes or something like that. <laughs> but which 10 minutes yeah which 10 minutes i don't know i've had a, a total of because I, I i did the live stream and then i also edited it so i've had something like a total of forty-eight thousand views for those two videos combined and i know that there was at least a half dozen people that stayed with me for the entire day and some of them were in europe so it was like 5 a.m or something for them when i stopped and there, I'm like, so who's still here from the beginning? And I got like a half dozen people that responded and said that they had been there the whole time, except for going to the bathroom and eating dinner. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Wow. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Desperate times we live in. Um, the other major announcement is um, is from Sea Lion. Yes. Yeah, actually, it's been quite a big week for Sea Lion, so I hope you'll indulge me just for a moment. But we've got a new major release, 2020.1. Uh, it's got some quite big things in there, like uh, support for CUDA, uh, Clang CL on Windows, uh, lots of extra embedded stuff. But if you're interested in that, go and read the blog post. Mm-hmm. Uh, it also happens to be Sea Lion's fifth birthday this week. Oh. And we've just put out a new post with a um, with an, an animated video. Oh, wow. Um, so that's ju- just like uh, 20 minutes before we went live. Um, that's gone up. So I'll, I'll put a link to that in the, in the show notes. Okay. That sounds great. And... And finally, um, we're going to be doing a, an AMA, Ask Me Anything, session next month with uh, the Sea Lion team. So anyone that wants to talk to the team. Okay. Again, there's a, a link I'll put in the show notes. Yeah, I'm going to try to tune in for that. It looks like it'll be fun. And um, it also looks like we have, oh, oh, I saw, I saw this, I think, on, on Twitter. I didn't, I didn't actually see the article, but Timor has put something about uh, using locks in real-time audio processing. Uh, Timor, of course, has done a lot of audio kind of stuff. This is his area, and um, the question is, how can you how can you how can you use locks and keep it flowing in real time? And so that's that's a challenge. Which I haven't read the article, but if you're interested in that, that's he's going to have some interesting insights because of his experience. As a spoiler, there's there's two parts to the answer. The first part is you don't. <laughs> uh, he recommends using good atomics and. Um, immutable data structures and things. But when you absolutely have to, then there are some 
best practices that will give you the uh, uh, the real-time performance that you need. So quite a long article, but because it really goes into depth. Okay, thank you. Um, and speaking of, uh, you said that C-Line's supporting CUDA. Hmm. This is a little teaser, but it uh, looks like that at CPPCon, we're actually going to have a class on CUDA. And speaking of classes, I think all of you except Matus are doing classes for us, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, yeah. I actually registered for this year for, for doing a class. I didn't get announced. Yet. Oh, um, I'll have to look into that and see what happened to that <laughs> uh, because I didn't see it. Anyway, um, so uh, what was I going to say? Um, oh, what I was going to say is that you said something, Reiner, that I wanted to pick up on, which is that you said you also mm. do Python yep. training. Do any of you do any, any the rest of you do anything other than C++? No. Nico. You do, yeah. uh, Nico? Technically, I do uh, TDD, although in the context of C++, but the bulk of it is, is more general TDD practice. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And did you say, Nico, that you... Yep. Um, well, currently, uh, I'm really only doing more or less um, C++, but I, I did a lot of time, mm-hmm. a lot, of, a couple of years doing service-oriented architecture, which is the other area where I wrote books about. And um, so, yeah. so not even a programming language right, in that right, sense, right. but some interesting patterns. Um, were most of your... People in your class who were implementing this, were they implementing it using C++? No, because um, the problem with C++ is they don't have a good SOAP API. So that's the biggest problem. Uh, Nico, we used GSOAP, which was not so bad. Not so bad is uh, in commercial projects not good enough. It was good enough. (laughs) It was a commercial project. Sorry, it was a commercial project. Are you able to find? <laughs> uh, I was just wondering if you're able to find soap in Europe right now because it can be hard to find. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We okay. we got new stuff. I mean, that, yeah. as I said, this was a couple of years ago, and then there was a question with other other standard we had, but soap was the only standard that was really standardized um, by um, for the communication of um, between um, endpoints and service-oriented architecture to. To my understanding, so where really you could use tools from different vendors and it worked. I did come up with an alternate <laughs> protocol to SOAP. It was the uh, the simple HTTP based on the wire electronic representation of a general extendable yeah. language, or shower gel yeah. for short. <laughs> it never really took off. No, I can see. Um, so what I wanted to ask you about is do you, and I'm I'm really focusing now this specifically to Nico and to Reiner. But do you see a difference in what the class makeup is between your C++ classes and either your Python or the classes that you used to do and so? My, uh, I want to kick in. Uh, first of all, in Python, I give beginners seminars, which is totally different. In C++, I have most of the time advanced people. So to be honest, it's quite difficult to start with beginners in C++. In Python, it's quite easy to do. You have four, three, four days and you are done. But in C++, it's a little bit more stuff to do. So this is a different challenge. So I assume if you're, if you're doing beginners for Python, mm-hmm. this is not on-site stuff. This is just uh, you're offering this as, a, as an open training. There's not a corporation that's, that's having you come in and train their beginners it's, it's in Python. A little bit different. It's a little bit different. I worked for a company and say, uh, they asked me, can you provide for the entire company one Python seminar or can you uh, create it? And I did it. And this was the start, the starting point of my trainer career, you know? So I gave hmm. seminars for the company because all system administrators had to speak the same language, which was in this case Python. And this was the starting uh, of my uh, yeah, career as a trainer. Then I became an independent C++ trainer and they asked me, could you eventually give us another Python seminar? And so I, I continue to give Python seminars. So 15 Python seminars a year and 30 C++ seminars a year, so something like that. Wow. You're busy. Yeah, this was today. I'm not so busy. This is for other reason, but I'm yeah. quite busy. All right. So, um, um, John, yeah. one comment on your question. Uh, just a short one. 
Um, there's a big special thing in C++, which is each time you teach something to the students you have in your head, how much do I tell them? And if they would know how much I didn't tell them, they would hate it. So that's, that's a big difference. Um, yeah, I, I think I don't know any other language as well as I know C++. But the impression I have is that most of the other languages are just not as deep. There's just not as much to talk about on other languages, which is not to say they may be better for that reason. I'm not saying they're not as good, but there's just more detail about C++. You can keep digging and digging and digging and digging. And um, that that is part of the reason why uh, the community needs trainers. They need us because the language has such so much baggage. Um we need a simpler language. That's the point. <laughs> I, I did do a talk once, Objective C in ninety minutes, where I covered the whole language. <laughs> really? Wow. Assuming a starting point of C, but but yeah, yeah. White, for example, in Python, you have a different challenge. You have more than three hundred libraries. You want to pass XML. Which library should you use? Um, Sex-based one, uh, Minidome-based one, uh, elementary-based one. You have too much choices. And then you have PIP with more than 100,000 additional libraries. So there's a big choice to make and a big challenge to overcome. Right. We are going in that direction in C++. <laughs> <laughs> well, having, having more quality libraries is always good. And, um, you know, having to choose from them is, is, is work. It's effort. But having the choice is, is a good right, thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I want to I I want to get a feel for. This is a little bit self promotion, I guess, or maybe not self promotion, but promotion of all of us. Is why is it that companies need us? Why why what is the value that we are giving to a company? I mean, companies have uh, in house engineers. They may be of moderate amounts of experience and moderate amounts of, or I mean, varying amounts of experience and training, but there's most companies of any size have somebody who is nominally the C++ expert. Why don't they just do the training in-house? What, what is the value that we as outsiders coming in are adding? And uh, let's start with you, Nico. Oh, um, first of all, uh, it's, a, it's a problem of um, resources. The good, the good people are need for other things. The next thing is to explain something well. You need very well slides, and that takes a lot of time. Um, and examples and experience, how to organize the training, etc. And let me tell you one anecdote. I was this oh, last year. I was in two companies where part of the attendees were in the standardization committee, and they learned a couple of things. So we have one problem is that is. Um, the, the generalists are missing in C++ because it's so big. Uh, we have a lot of experts in, in certain fields, but um, somebody to tell the whole story, see the big picture, that's a big, big, tricky thing to teach and to explain. So I want to push back. Um, so one, one, one argument somebody might say is, well, it's true that you know a lot about the, the language and you've specialized in that, but our people know our domain better. And so they can know what part of C++ is really important for us because in our domain, some of the things that you might think should be taught because it's an important part of C++, but it's not that important to us. Uh, what, how, would you, how would you respond to that? Yes, but it's not only the domain. It's, it's the area of C++ you know good because of your project. And it's, um, excuse me, that even good programmers <laughs> often have a surprising half-knowledge of things. And when they take the time to really ask all the questions and try things out, they would never try out yeah. just in their commercial project. They learn a lot. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how about you, Matus? How do you uh, make the case that, that somebody should hire some outsider to come in and, and teach their engineers? Uh, yeah, first of all, uh, there are a lot of customers, as you said, they are looking for specific knowledge. Like, for example, they're asking me to provide a multi-threading training to, to the, to the uh, employees. Uh, but then the answer in many cases is that we should run the pre-training questionnaire to assess their knowledge. 
And after that, it turns out often that we should go to the C++ language basics rather than the <laughs> multi-threading course. <laughs> and we can forget it for about a quarter. Uh, and this is quite typical because, as we said already, C++ is a hard language. In other languages, we learn it for a quarter, then we spend time on learning libraries. In C++, we learn language for all of our lives, and we don't know it too much. Uh, fortunately, we don't have to, to care too much about the libraries because we don't have them. So, uh, so it's, it's, so it's, there it's was, easier for us there was to, some to learn. giggling and mirth there. I, I assume we are all in the same situation in that we have encountered over and over again that the people that we talk to about doing classes significantly overestimate the knowledge of their own programmers. Is that the common experience? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, when I talk to other companies, they say we don't uh, have to train our, our engineers because we hire the best ones. But they hired them like five, ten years ago, and they didn't provide the time for them to learn, to, to, to stay current with the, with, the, with the latest standards. And those people are trapped in legacy projects doing pre C++ 11 code. So even if they were experts <laughs> at the time they hired them, they are not experts uh, anymore. J yeah, Klaus. So, yeah. Uh, perhaps I can chime in with an example, yeah. Klaus, which yeah. I used recently. Um, so if you go to YouTube, go to Björn's keynote from CPPCon 2019, you find that 120,000 people approximately have watched this video. However, according to the numbers, there should be 5 to 6 million C++ developers out there. So 1% to 2% are watching the keynote from CPPCon. 98% therefore is not investing time in conferences, in uh, reading books, uh, listening to blogs. This is the big mass of people that really are not trying to get more information about C++. We, we sometimes use the term dark matter <laughs> programmers. They are, they are not, uh, <laughs> they're not communicating with the rest of the, rest of the community about C++. Um, so Jason, I wanted to ask you about this. Has this also been your experience that, that the companies you talk to um, overestimate or perhaps underestimate the training needs maybe is a way of saying it? Yeah, I, I wouldn't say they overestimate their employees' knowledge. I would say they they don't know what they don't know, right? It's So it's it's not like you you need to be up here and you're actually down here it's more like you know this and you also need to know this information over here so i i've actually um for 2020 have started and this i was just getting the ball rolling on this but things you know planning has you know slowed down a little bit of creating a, a quiz, like Matus was saying, and just saying, you know what, if you want me, if you want to enhance your C++ programmer's knowledge, here is a quiz. I will tell you what training <laughs> you will have after you take this quiz. <laughs> and every company I've presented that to says, that sounds great. And I've even had like the team leads say, I don't know what my people don't know. This is exactly sure. what I want from you. Yeah. I know you also told me the story about uh, object lifetimes, where you said that you have an, a number of classes um, switched the class because you began to realize that, that the students didn't have the background and understanding about object lifetimes. So you... Oh, yeah. People want the, the exciting sounding topics. They want the multi-threaded, the, the performance-oriented ones. And then we get halfway through a class on the first day, and I realize you don't even understand the basics. No, you don't want to return every object on the heap for performance. That is the wrong solution. <laughs> and then I just swap out the training. I'll ask the people in the room, like, do you mind if I go completely on a different track here? And, and they'll, you know, they, uh, I've never had anyone stop me. So we'll just change gears and I'll teach them what they need to. So I figured, like I said, for 2020, I'm just going to do an end run around that. Save us all a half day at the beginning of the class by sending you the quiz up front. And then I'll tell you what training you want. Yes. Okay. Thanks. Uh, Reiner, has this been your experience yes, as well? Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, was, uh, I was thinking about my experience and I had often this experience. The experience was... They said to me they are 20 years professional C++ developer and so on and so on. Then I say the word virtual and all people look in different directions. Then I know this was totally wrong. 
For this reason, I have prepared additional material, material which I use, and I say to them, now we make something totally different. We start with the basic uh, stuff, because if not, it would not make sense to uh, explain override if you don't know what virtual means. So, and this is quite often my experience, and I'm prepared. I'm prepared for it. Yeah, you know, and one and. I mean, this paints this really terrible, terrible picture, but I want to point out it is possible to be a very good programmer and to write very good software and not be an expert in C++. <laughs> Can I? Another, yeah, Jason. <laughs> I'm raising my hand, sorry. Yeah, go ahead, um, Jason. I would say from my perspective, about a quarter of my students, I think, from 2019 would not have called themselves programmers at all. Oh, they really? are physicists. They are chemists. They are uh, solving a problem. They happen to use C plus plus to solve that problem. Engineers. Yeah. engineers, yeah, 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 yeah. So I guess I guess what uh, what I was what I was saying though is that someone who who knows a lot about that domain as a physicist or an engineer or maybe you know a business domain it doesn't matter what the domain is um, and they have a rudimentary understanding of C++ and they can make it work and they can write software that is reliable and software that does what it's supposed to do. But my argument about that is they're not necessarily using the best practices, which means they're working harder than they need to. If they understood the, la the language better, they would be more productive. And also they may have some performance issues that they're not aware of. You know, there's something if you're not going head to head against a piece of software that does essentially what you do, when, when you're in that situation, you know, two word processors or two spreadsheets competing with each other or two web browsers, there's a lot of focus on performance. But if you're just writing an accounting software and you're the only one who's writing an accounting software in the kind of work you're doing, nobody really cares how long it takes to generate this inventory report. But it's still a usability feature. You still want reports generated as fast as possible. You still want calculations done as fast as possible. And I think that's where, that, that's why there can be this disconnect that companies internally say, you know, we've won awards with this software. We're writing great software. Don't tell us we don't know what we're doing. That's not what we're saying. We're not saying you don't know what you're doing. We're saying you're not using C++ to its best. You don't know enough about C++. And sometimes, and, and I've seen this even with myself. Sometimes I, I, you know, somebody asks me, what would happen if you did that? And I immediately say, oh, don't do that. But I don't know the answer. I don't really know what would happen. What would happen if you do that? And and that's when you have to really dig into the feature and figure out how it works, so that you can you can present these things better. And I just think there's lots and lots of people who are good C programmers, maybe better programmers than I would. You know, getting work done by deadline and all those kinds of things. But they don't really understand the details of what they're needing. And if they did, they would be even more productive, and they would write even more robust, more reliable, and and faster software. But, uh, but so I want to, I want to, I want to make the point very strongly that there's a lot of lack of knowledge about C++. There's lots and lots of stuff that we can educate on, but it, but it doesn't mean that someone can't be a good programmer um, already without this. And I think that's the disconnect. I think that people think, well, we've got these great software programmers and we're doing great stuff. Why do we need you? Have you come in and teach us about C++? I think one of the things that makes it a little easier to, to point out is that with the standards committee cranking out new standards, you know, it's really fast to, to have the community absorb all these new features and keep it up. That's an argument. Absent that, it's still necessary to go back and teach people basics, as you guys have all said. Um, people, people aren't solid on the basics, and they can get by with that, but they, if they don't really understand, they're not doing their best work. Um, the best way to learn C++ is to teach it because you, you get <laughs> crazy questions and you, you really get crazy questions. And the problem is they expect answers. <laughs> so um, you will, between these days, sit in the evening, uh, send some emails, try out some things, and you will learn and learn and learn more. And um, um, at least for me, it's um, half of the time, even after 20 years, I'm very surprised and frustrated by some things. And the other part, 
I'm taking some of these questions to send them back to the committee to say, what the hell did you do? <laughs> All right, Klaus. So I wanted to, to add that it's not just the features, it's also the big picture, the experience. So we have seen as a trainer a lot of applications, a lot of problems, domains. And so I think this this helps to, to see the bigger picture. What is good in which domain? What perhaps is something from one domain that could help in other domains too? This big picture is something that um, many people just don't see because of all these features, because of the entire complexity. This, I believe, also helps to get people um, to give people this bigger picture to help them understand how to sort all these features in. Yeah, no, that 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 absolutely makes makes a lot of sense. Um, and I, I, getting back to what Nico was saying, I think you're right. There's a um, there's a much simpler language in there somewhere if we can find it. Um, um, no, no, it's also. Complexity has its price right. and flexibility. So, uh, sorry, flexibility yes, yes. has its price. That's a problem. It's a, it's a multi-purpose language, and we shouldn't forget that. And we have a history. So probably the best thing would be to replace C++ by something better. Unfortunately, that's not an option. Well, there's a lot of contenders that are trying to get there, but... Um, not really an option. Well, that's the thing is that um, they have to pay their dues in the sense that they have to accumulate the the baggage that C++ mm -hmm. has because the baggage that C++ mm -hmm. has is also its strength. I mean, there, there's lots and lots yeah. of of libraries and um, and knowledge about C++ and a ton of good tools for C++ and those kinds of things. So, um, so on the one hand, it's the price we pay for using a language that dates back to the 70s, but it is it's also the benefit that we get because we're using a language that dates back to the 70s. So, um, so it's, it's, it's a different set of trade-offs. Um, there's people who are using languages that are fresher and newer. Jason just had a podcast talking about all these new and exciting languages that his brother's been working on or your cousin, sorry, your cousin. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and th those are all exciting and fun. They don't have near the baggage that C++ has, but on the other hand, they don't have the industry uh, penetration either. They don't have the, as many people using them for no. just that reason. The baggage that is the price we pay, but it's also the benefit that we leverage uh, going forward. So um, one other thing I want to start talking about now is how has the world changed for you uh, since we're now in lockdown? And I will, um, I will say that I literally every single class I've had this year has been canceled. I have not taught a class all year. Um, now, part of it is I hadn't scheduled any classes in the first two months of the year anyway for other reasons. And so um, uh, so part of that is, you know, maybe bad planning on my part. But this has had a huge impact on me. Um, I have, uh, uh, you know, the lockdown itself is not an issue because I work at home all the time. It doesn't matter to me, you know, anyway. But, um, but I haven't... Uh, I haven't been doing any traveling at all. So the conferences that I would normally go to, uh, user group meetings that I would normally go to, I have gone to some this year because they were earlier. But uh, but basically, I haven't, uh, my wife would tell you, I haven't generated any income at all all year. That's pretty scary. Um, how are you guys doing? Anybody, I, I, you know, I heard some people mention doing some uh, some virtual stuff. How is that working and what kind of success do you have? Again, we'll start uh, with Nico. Thank you, John. Well, um, first, uh, first of all, I was traveling until March. Um, I also gave some trainings this year, but then um, I think within three days, more or less everything in the next three months was canceled. Wow. Um, so it hit, hit Europe very, very condensed, I think. Um, I um, also got the virus, by the way, so uh, I had anyway um, other problems, and now I'm I've recovered as you, as you see, and I can tell you. Did you get the virus, or you just got some the virus? virus. You, you I, I have I had COVID nineteen. I had it. Yes. Oh, I didn't. Which know is that. a good thing. I'm I'm immune now. Yes, of course. <laughs> we hope. So I can give a training and sell. Hey, I, no, don't worry. <laughs> but um, um, I 
I started one training already doing online. And um, well, the interesting thing yeah. is the scheduled trainings, every customer said they yes. want to postpone it. So they are not really right. canceling it. Also, I have a policy if they, if, if they don't do it now, um, it, it's not an obligation to do it later. And um, the other thing is, as I said, um, I gave one training for a company. It's this company will now have two other trainings, will now have two other trainings. And this, uh, I just started to really work this week again and, and double-checked a couple of things with the other customers. Most of them are saying, now, yes, we want to have the training, either scheduled very late or even in the beginning of next year, or um, going to online training. So it, it's 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 okay from my point of view, but I'm special also because I, I'm writing books and have income from the books. So cons constant income from the books. That's that's a very good thing in these days. Um, but uh, it's not that bad. Um, and maybe we talk later about the experience I had with the online training. But in general, it works. And, and I, I see no breakdown of the market and interest in C++ trainings at least here in Europe or at least in Germany, I don't see that the that the industry is going really down. It's more that they are on, on hold a little bit. It's uh, because I think we have some better models here in Europe or in Germany than in the US, um, where, where you have more risk of getting unemployed and things like that, So and, and more problems with that. And um, so... The key question is how long does it take? Uh, but uh, so far, it didn't hurt me that bad. And as I said, we have other options now with online trainings. I think they are possible. All right. Um, Matus, what's your situation? Uh, yeah, all my trainings were cancelled too. But uh, I don't think that... Uh, for me, it's not a deal because I'm working for another company and have some, some money for, for me by myself. But... Talking about the trainings by themselves, I don't think that isolation is the biggest issue here. Isolation will end in a month or two and we'll go back to work and theoretically we'll be able to, to have trainings again. But I'm, I'm worried that it will take about two years for the corporations to, um, to get well again, to have budgets for trainings and other stuff. Budget for training is the easiest thing to cut off from the employees. And it will take some time for us to for it to recover. Uh, regarding the online trainings, uh, I personally didn't do any one of those, but I'm the member of uh, trainer enthusiast group in Poland called Bottega, and those guys are doing trainings for other domains, not not C++. So they are having a lot of them. The, the trainings even now and have a lot of already the uh, experience with online trainings and say that actually they are surprisingly effective. Because people say that when you are not interactive with the trainer face-to-face, -face, it's, it's less effective training. According to their uh, experience and to the questionnaires filled by the students afterwards, they are not worse at all uh, comparing to the experience in face-to-face -face training. And it, but you, you are face-to-face. Why don't you communicate in an online training? I would, I would assume you can do that. Yes, it's sure, but I mean like 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 face-to-face -face meeting in one room rather than that having okay. the meeting yeah. over Zoom, right? I see. Yeah. Uh, so so their experience is that people actually can sit eight hours in front of their desk for a few days. That they actually can be uh, um, can follow the, the training, provide good good feedback after that, and learn. So so it's hopefully will be fine for us and for others because actually we can use this time right now to to, to teach ourselves. So you, you, you're saying that, that their experience was that it wasn't a degraded experience? No, not at all. Oh, really? And I've, I've, I've heard that from, from, from several trainers that did already about three to four trainings online. I, I totally agree with Matus. So this year, I'm, I feel a little lucky. I did not have a lot of trainings canceled so far. However, I'm also worried that next year and perhaps even the year after, then the situation is a different one. That companies will uh -huh. cut back because this is the easiest way to, to save money. What I can uh, say about this, that, continue. Then I can. Uh, okay, okay. Um, my feeling is that unfortunately, this this may actually be a, a bad decision from a company. Usually, good code is cheap, and if you can help to make the code better, the company will save much more money than they spend on a trainer. 
Uh, so there is many, many reasons to uh, to argue that a good training upfront, as soon as possible, will save them a lot of tons of money later. And so hopefully um, people, companies do not believe that saving a little money on a trainer is, is helping them in any way. Now, this is peanuts in comparison to what they might they might lose later. Totally agree. I, I think, and I'll let you, Reiner, I know you want some, I, I will say that the cost of training from my point of view is always that you're taking people off of production. What you actually pay the trainer is usually, peanuts might be somewhat of an exaggeration, but what you're paying the trainer is 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 not even is to consider. The, the cost of the training is I've taken 20 engineers uh, and I've got them working because we have a schedule to meet and I'm going to take them offline for three or four days. I obviously I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't think it was worth it for them to do that because of that investment. But that's what the cost is. The cost is not what they're paying me. Um, the cost is uh, is what you know that they're taking engineers off of off of production for three to five days. Reiner, I promised you. I I, I see a big issue now. If all of us postpone the trainings. Uh, a lot of our, the trainers will become, uh, I hope this is the right term, insolent. They will uh, run out of money, which means in three, five months or so, we have only half of the amount of trainers, which means in the opposite, we have to do uh, twice the amount of trainings or we could become, we should become a little bit uh, uh, more expensive. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, so I, I I had a discussion with a lot of my com clients, which said we should postpone it. Then I said to them, "This is extremely terrible for you because we will become more expensive in the future. You should be aware of that. You should become more expensive in the past." <laughs> this uh, I don't understand it. I think if if, if 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 you don't take enough money, so that you as a self-employed trainer. Can can keep up for half a year. You made something seriously wrong. I can do it, but not all of us can do it. There are, but all, I th I'm not I'm not sure about the the local prices. But in our area in C with that demand, if if that if if that's not something we do, we do something wrong. I there think. are a lot of trainers which sure. earn not um, uh, quite amount of money to 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 uh, pay the daily bills. There are a lot of trainers. You mean C plus plus, or is it? Are you doing? I'm relatively sure. Okay, so I, I have. I had I had often discussions in which people asked me for, sorry, asked me for such amounts of money. Sorry, John, continue. I have a I have a real. Tell, well, they, they should send me the the address, and I will give them a hand. <laughs> What I was going to say is this is something I've been thinking a lot about having nothing whatsoever to do with the virus. I've been thinking about this for uh, well over the last couple of years. And I'm concerned about the fact that, you know, what we've touched on already, the, the huge number of, of dark matter. I mean, um, we, we got the working number from Klaus of 98%. I'm not sure what that is, but the point is that the vast majority of C++ programmers are literally doing nothing at all to advance their skills. Once they get higher, the only thing they're doing to advance their skills is writing more code, which is, which is not, an, uh, uh, you know, it's not nothing, but it is not what they need, particularly in light of the fact that the standards committee is doing everything they can to make C++ programmers obsolete, right? Um, and... Is that's no. not the way I should say it? That's not quite the way. <laughs> the opposite is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but but what I'm what I'm trying to say is that I that I believe that that every C company should be pulling a you know if you have more than say uh, twelve full time C engineers you should have a a some one of us come in and talk to them. Once a year, and that should just be what everybody's doing. And we are so far behind, away from that. Now, part of it is we don't have enough trainers to do that. But the part of the reason we don't have enough trainers to do that is that most companies aren't doing that. They, there isn't a demand. And so what I'm trying to figure out is how do I generate that kind of demand? How do I generate an understanding among every company that we need to have, um, that, that you need to have ongoing training 
at a much higher level than what they're doing. Now, some companies do get that, and those are the companies that are hiring us, right? But but that's not nearly enough. I I I sincerely believe that we need to generate more demand. And with that demand, and I know this, you guys probably know this as well. I know this because I run conferences and I talk to speakers all the time. I know there are lots and lots of people who would love to be to to quit their to do what I did to do what you guys have done quit your full time job and and do training full time but it's a little scary because <laughs> because it's freelance because there's all these things because if a virus comes down and shuts you down for six months how are you going to eat um, and that's scary I think it's uh, having done it it was really scary for me and then it worked out well um, but what I want to do is I want to figure out how we generate enough demand among companies that it becomes much less scary, that we can say, don't worry, the demand is out there. Um, there's lots of companies that are looking for the kind of people who really understand the language and communicate it well. So, um, Matisse, you wanted to say something. Yes. So um, my experience is that companies basically are not having the demand for us because they have really bad experience with the trainings. And that's because it's easier for the company to hire a huge corporation that does all of the kind of the trainings, starting from C++ through, through Outlook mess- messaging or, or, or conflict resolution between, between people. And those companies provide the, uh, let's say, pretty cheap uh, trainings about everything and hire the cheapest trainers, often students that just get a slide deck from someone else to provide a training for some company. If such person comes to you with a slide deck and then you get a training that takes four days and the last three hours of the of the training is the new features of C++ 11, then then you really don't want to, to hire another trainer, yes? Yeah. yeah so and, and people just don't reach us, the, the people like Nico, like Jason, the experts in the domain, they're just looking for, for, for the easiest way to do it. And that's wrong, in my opinion. And, and another thing that I, that I observe is that... Um, other companies are claiming that they don't hire the external trainers because they have people experienced enough to do the trainings by themselves for, for their employees. My next question always is, will you provide a quarter of time for the person to, to, provide, to prepare a trainer or the training material for the training? They will say, no, I will never provide a quarter for this person to do it, but this is the time you need to do it. And this is only the first iteration. We, the dedicated trainers, we in, in, incrementally uh, improve our, our material with every training. So it gets better and better through the time. Yeah. And this is the difference. Can I say some? Um, first of all, John, excuse me, I don't like really your question. And, and I will tell you the reason. You don't like, say, you don't like what? Um, which was? Your question, uh, which was, um, how can we raise yeah. the demand? And um, the point is uh, two things here. First of all, we are a marketplace. A marketplace means that companies switch from controllers controlling a company and quality assurance controlling a company. Um, as long as I survive, it's an up and down between them because um, if, you, if you spend too much money, um, the controllers come in, or if you have a crisis like now, um, if you if you see that your quality goes too much down so that people don't buy your stuff anymore, it's um it's that the quality assurance comes back. So um so that's that's the first thing where we have a self-regulating system in our market in our global marketplace. And the next thing is um the more the more people see that there has that there is a demand for b- better C training. Th- the more there will be t- trainers for that. I bet that. It's like taxi drivers um, because it's, it's, it's a fast and early and good win. The problem, as Matthias says, it's not easy to teach C++. That's the biggest problem. But there will be more trainers, definitely. So um, so your question is fine, but I, I, I never heard that this question leads to something. I don't think we should advertise ourselves. I, I just think we should do a good job that our customers come back and ask me three years later again and say, hey, now we have C20. Can you come back one day? 
one day for C++ friendly, then we have to talk about it with well, them. So, but anyway. So <laughs> he, here's my thinking on that is that if what I'm worried about is, am I going to have enough training to keep me busy? Um, then, then you're right. But that's not what I'm worried about. What I'm worried about is, you know, 5 million C++ programmers in the world that aren't getting trained. And yeah. well, so what? That's, that's an issue for C++. <laughs> the Standards Committee is making this wonderful language and library, but if people don't know how to use it, they might, they might as well not do it, right? I mean, it's a self-regulating system. It will, as lo the success of C++ proves that C++ is good enough for that situation. When you, when you say that it's a self-regulating system, though, what, what you're saying is that, that the players on the ground have the right set of incentives, which I agree. And my incentive is to increase the number of people who are getting formal training. And I don't mean by doing more training myself. What I mean is finding a way to market the concept of training so that, you know, 100 new companies want to get training, 500 new companies, 1,000 companies that aren't doing training right now in the, in the sense that they bring someone in. Maybe they do some internal training, and we've talked about that's a limited approach. Uh, the way to do it is to, is to have a number of people like us, the people on this, on this call, there needs to be at least an order of magnitude, probably two orders of magnitude, more people doing what we're doing. And there needs to be the demand for that. And it's not quite there yet. It's All I can say is before we had the coronavirus, I was more or less sold out for the whole year 2020. I'm not, I'm not worried about keeping Nico busy. <laughs> Nico is a brand no, no, name. No, 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 but, 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 but. but. Am I the only one? I have no, no, no. You're not. You're not the only one. But what I'm saying is this group that we that we have to, enough to teach. But what I'm saying is, you know, I don't know what the actual number is. I know most of the let's say brand name instructors in C plus plus, the people who are not um, as um, uh, not just going to a company that also teaches Excel and and Outlook and other things. And oh, by the way, we'll teach you C++. Actual brand name people like the people on this call. There's maybe 20 of them, something on that order. And what I'm saying is there needs to be 200. And I'm not, I don't think that the 20 that are there are starving. I don't think that's the issue. But what I'm saying is that there need to be a lot more companies that need, that recognize we need to bring people in and do regular training. Um, and and we and if I was successful at that, if those companies suddenly needed that, we couldn't fill the demand. I think we will. You're exactly right. There are lots of people. I know them because they speak at conferences. There's lots of people who enjoy and are good at articulating technical thoughts and communicating these ideas and and would like to. I mean, I tell people I like programming in C++, but it turns out I actually like talking about it more than I like programming. In. Who would figure? Right. Um, and that's why I do what I do. Um, <laughs> well, I don't think that's a surprise. I think there are people who are the opposite of that. There's like, OK, I could give a talk on C++ or I could actually write it. I'm going to write it. I don't want to I don't want to give a talk. There's different people. Right. Um, but I think that the, the demand is there. I mean, if the demand is there, I think we can meet it with supply, maybe not overnight, because, as I said, for me, you know, I spent I don't remember how long it was months, maybe even a year. Uh, actually, for many years, I'd kind of wanted to do this and was kind of thinking about it. But it took about a year of really serious thought. I talked to a lot of uh, trainers and uh, I finally decided, OK, I think I'm I'm ready to make this transition and I quit my job. It was very scary. I think there's a lot of people out there who would like to do uh -huh. that, but it's very scary. And that's why we need to uh, we need to create a situation where the marketplace will support, a, a you know, two orders of magnitude increase in the number of people who are doing this. Anyway, um, go ahead, Matisse. Yeah, so, John, you said that uh, the lack of training is the problem for C++. I don't think it's a problem for C++. It's the problem for production quality of the companies that don't provide the training to their employees. In the world where cars are driving for you where you sleep, it's really scary to not have training in the companies. And that's my position here. Well, no. I C++ will survive. 
Uh, you're saying the more cars that crash, the better it will be for C++ <laughs> trainers. <laughs> that's, that's what it sounded like no. to me. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, they're just scary. I don't, I don't intend anyone to, to, to crash or, or, yeah, or have okay. another accident. Proposing a crash course. <laughs> yeah. Well, to, to, the, to the rescue there, um, Klaus and I are both at one of the major automobile companies introducing uh, or teaching a new group of 200 C++ programmers for autonomous driving. So it seems at least there is some idea of that uh, that they have to know what they do. Um, interestingly, they did a survey of their attendees at the beginning and asked, uh, because they had their employees um, controlling the work of outer companies. And now they decided they want to in-house the whole C++ development for mm -hmm. the um, autonomous driving um, uh, department. And um, then they asked them, can you program C++ or how good can you program? And then at the end of this questionnaire, it turned out that half of the, oh, half of the people said, no, no, let's start from the beginning once again. And... Uh, and do it, and I think, and and I think that's well, Klaus, you did it from some other area, but but we are more or less both seeing the same project from this area. So, um, if if it's serious, I at least have one example where the companies go for the good ones. Okay, um, I think we are um, kind of running out of time. There is one other thing that we touched on earlier, and I didn't really uh, follow up on it at the time. And that is that in my experience, online training as, as an instructor, online training has not been a good experience for me. Now I've never done a class that was entirely online. And maybe if it was set up that way, what I have had is a number of situations where I went in and the client would say, this is a class, there's going to be 20 people here or 30, whatever it is, but there's going to be two or three people who are, who are remote. Is it okay if they dial in? And the first time it was kind of like, whoa, 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 I don't know. Okay. So we tried it out and now it's, it happens occasionally and I'm always okay with it. But the warning I give them, I say, I'm teaching to the people in the room, people who are remote, they can hear if they have a question, I'm happy to answer the question, but I'm not seeing their eyes. And I've talked to enough instructors. I know this is personally true. I, I often pause and say, okay, any questions? Before we move on, are there any questions? I don't really need to do that. I can look in the eyes and see if there's any questions, right? Um, I know if people are understanding. I know if they're lost. And I do that because I look in their eyes. And when some of the people are online, that just doesn't, I don't even know. They may have gone to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know. I don't even know if they're there. Um, I don't know if they're paying attention. I don't know if they're bored. I don't know if they're looking at their uh, Kindle or what they're doing. The people in the room, I know. And some of them, you know, they get their phone out and they start but at least I know because they're there. Um, and so what I tell people is that I, yes, if people are remote, that's fine. I, I don't have any problem with that, but it is not the same experience. Now, yeah. that's what I'm wondering about for those of you who have been doing online classes. If it's entirely online, does that work okay? Is that, are you happy with it? Are you feeling like, you know, like I say right now, when I have a client who says, well, could we do this? I always say, you can do it, but it's a degraded experience. It's not as good for either the instructor or the student to not be in the same room and seeing eye to eye, understanding the body language, following those kinds of things. What is your experience? Klaus, why don't you go ahead? Okay. So my experience is essentially the same as you. I like to be on site. I want to see the people. And what I really miss in the online trainings is the direct interaction in the breaks, so lunch break, for instance, the, the direct talking to the people. This is totally lost in the online trainings. You announce now is lunch break and then everybody's gone. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone come up to me during a break and ask a question. And I say, why didn't you ask this during the class? Oh. And after break, I start the class by saying, by the way, I got this great question. Go ahead. That's Klaus. always the best questions. Yeah. yeah, it's always the best questions and they're afraid to ask them. Yeah. And I also definitely f miss the, the, the expression on the faces. I also cannot really work by just talking. This is So it's harder. However, my experience so far is it does work. It is different. It is not the same experience, but it works reasonably enough. So perhaps uh, less people get involved, less people ask questions. Um, perhaps 
half of the people do not really respond at all during training, but um, it does work still. And as MTU said, the feedback is uh, is not bad or not, not worse than if I would do an on-site training. Uh, I have to kick in because I did it already 28 in parallel to Prasov, in, uh, to Munich and to uh, India. And this was really, really hard. For example, when should you make the lunch break? This is really... This is really hard. And what was extremely hard was I haven't have uh, didn't have any visual feedback, which means I talked into a telephone line. We shared the desktop, and this was it. Often, often, and this was hard for three days. This was really hard, and this was really um, exhausting for me. But I did it. This was yeah. And what was the nicest experience for me was that sometimes it was extremely silent in the telephone line because the Indian people decided to go for a break. Oh. <laughs> Without visual feedback, it, it's terrible. Oh, yeah. Can yeah, I, you go. Yeah. Okay. A couple of things, really a couple. I, I try to make it very short. Um, first of all, John, don't ask are there any questions? Okay. Ask which questions do you have? And wait and and count down to 20. Okay? So it needs more time to get feedback and so that you get a feedback. Next thing, um, it depends on uh, the kind of the training. Mm. The more lecture-based it is, the better. And, um, the le and exercises are really a problem. Um Due to my experience. Then the next thing I can tell you is um, if you trained slides very often, so like 10 to 20 times, you pretty exactly know how to teach it. So you, you get after after 10 trainings, you get always the same reactions from some people understanding or not understanding it. So it was a big, big win for me if I did the C when I did the C training that I knew how, where to speak loud, where to speak not that loud, where to make a break, etc. So I think it's a nightmare to give a training on a new topic. Uh, that's oh, that's yeah. that's really something you should be careful with. And and, and the last thing I want to say is um, tools are very, very important. Um, I used Zoom. Zoom has very good performance, and we have some interaction there, and we have a chat channel, etc. So that worked very well. And um, I, I see other tools which where I see significant drawbacks if if I if I do the online training with that. So these are my five points. I just came into my mind when I heard all your discussion. So all all I can say is that at least in the last training. People um, had another training partially, and they said it was as good as before. I did not agree with them, by the way. Uh, and, and yes, Reiner or whoever is completely right. The lack of feedback is a nightmare. It's really a nightmare because you don't know about it. But as I said, the more professionalism you have, the more experience you have, the better you can deal with that. Okay, Um does anybody else want to, I think we're, I'm not sure exactly when we started. We started a little late, so I think we're probably looking at our time. But does anybody else want to make a comment before we, any, which questions do you have? I would just like to concur, Nico, to concur, Nico, that uh, basically having a good tools like Zoom helps a lot. So right now, I can be sure. <laughs> working on a phone line, it's really, really hard. I can, I, I'm pretty sure. But having tools like Zoom with all of the breakout rooms and, and all of the features there and polls and other stuff really helps a lot. Uh, and, and also answering Klaus, uh, actually what I've heard from other trainers is that uh, for online trainings, uh, you have more questions than in the room because people can, for example, during the exercise or during the break, uh, contact you for Zoom directly one-to-one -to -one, and the room doesn't hear them. And most of the questions do not come because they are afraid of the room, not you. Okay. So actually, in, in, in having more, more questions. And also, one, one benefit of, of having online trainings is to have open trainings. It's much easier to do an open training online, uh, the live videos, than, than making them somewhere physically. Mm. People don't have to, to go there to travel a lot of, a lot of distance to, to meet with you 
that have to pay for for flights for 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 for, for accommodation to, to stay for a few days in, in in the meeting place. So I think that if that when we practice more with with online um, experience and have better experience with this one, the we'll be able to provide more and better open training to everyone, not just the corporations that care about their employees. Okay, the, yeah, there's some real possibilities for uh, for for open training. Um, on the virtual side, I can certainly see that. That, that makes a lot of sense. That would I, I, uh, I have to remark, I did a poll a few days ago and I asked, what is your preferred schedule for online training? Normally we teach three days. This is bad. What is preferred is five times in half a day. Oh. This seems to work better. Uh, what is five five. Days, five half days, five f- half f- days. Five half. Wait, wait, wait. Once more, five half days instead of three entire days. Yeah, this um, seems to work better for the participants. I just make the poll, and it's it's a clear tendency to these directions. Five times in half a day because I'm looking for new formats. I do tend to believe that interspersing class with real world programming is probably good. It's not practical in a situation where you're traveling somewhere and, you know, so we don't do it, do it that way. We usually do three days together or five days together. If you're doing it in online, it would have that advantage. It is possible that, um, that you could do that, 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 that would, that advantage might overcome some of the other disadvantages. I tend to be wanting to be in the room with people. Sure. 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 Always better. Anyway, so um, I, I hope you guys enjoyed this. I enjoyed this a lot, and would love to have uh, you know, Phil. We should we should do a a a trainer uh, a, a trainer uh, episode <laughs> every six months or something like that. Get people together and not wait for the next <laughs> pandemic to to inspire us to do this. Right? See what we can do. You, so you experience do. who got broke uh, during this period. That's yeah. what Heiner said. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All six right. months in six months we still have the current pandemic. Oh, I would certainly hope not. Uh we will that, have. In some form. That would mean we have to cancel CPPCon, and I don't want to cancel CPPCon if it's possible to not. Anyway, um we usually at this point um uh all together uh wish our, all of our listeners uh, safe coding. And so uh please join me in saying to everyone, safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. Safe coding. Stay healthy. <laughs> Goodbye.